0: You're listening to The Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hey, before we get started this morning, uh, I don't want to miss the opportunity to thank our uh, veterans. So if you are uh, active duty military or retired or have served for us in the country, if you would please just stand up for a minute. Uh, Those of us, maybe we don't even have, there we go. Thank you. We appreciate it. Sometimes we, sometimes we are around folks that have sacrificed a lot for us as a country and we don't even know it because we just didn't know that you served and so we appreciate your service and uh, opportunity to say thanks to you. So, well this morning we're jumping into a new series and uh, we called it Relationships Matter um, for a couple of reasons. One, first off and foremost, because they do, right? And uh, also because we just feel like it kind of summed up Uh, some of the core values for us as a church like one of the key values for us as a church is relationship and we're going to take a couple of weeks and we're going to kind of maybe not learn new things so much as be reminded of why we do things the way we do as a church and for us as a church it's really important from time to time that we kind of take a step back and we have kind of a, a quick refresher on why we do things the way we do, so that us as a church are hearing the same thing the same way and it brings unity in our body because we understand why we do things the way we do as a church. We understand where we're coming from, why we go that direction, why we hang our hat on some specific things. And when we understand that as a body and there's unity and clarity, for us, then it does something really cool for us in our community. It helps us be a great witness and testimony to the life of Jesus, to people that know us. Because even Jesus said, right, that if we are unified, and there is uh, alignment amongst his people, that it, it's a powerful witness and testimony to others that God really sent him and he was really real, and his love is for them, not just for us, right? On the flip side, if you're a part of a church and there's not unity and there's a lot of division and there's it's not clarity of what we're all about, then to the outside world, we kind of look like we don't know what we're talking about, and it takes away our testimony about Jesus because they get distracted by the things we don't agree on, and they lose The heart of the mission, that Jesus loves them and that we have a love for them and for God. So that's kind of some of the why behind it. We're going to camp out on the very first part. Like there's a statement we have at this church um, at all of the real life churches all over the country and it's something that we really hang our hat on as a church. It's a statement that we feel like really sums up who we are as a church and who we want to be as a church, what we want to be about as a church. And you guys are probably familiar with it. You've seen it on lots of stuff. It's on website, it's on cards, it's on different things you get in the mail. It's reaching the world for Jesus. Oh, that was weak sauce. Come on. Reaching the world for Jesus. Yes. Much better. Okay. So, why that though? Right? Why that? Of all the things we could have come up with, is it just sort of a catchy phrase that looks good on a business card? Is it like a a professional vision statement? Is it, where were we coming from? Why did we land on that? In fact, why not? Wouldn't it be way more efficient if it was reaching the world for Jesus 1,000 people at a time? Wouldn't it be better if we at least shot for 100 people at a time? Why just one? So we're going to take a little trip down memory lane for us today. And we're going to kind of rewind the clock back in time. And we're going to look at how God has worked throughout history to redeem and restore creation and redeem and restore relationship with him, with his people. And the way God has done that has helped us shape why we want to do things the way we want to do them we want to be in line with how god normally works to redeem and restore people throughout history so some of these stories can be a little bit like um i've heard that one a million times i've heard that since sunday school and it's so important that we hear these stories and that we think about them maybe differently than we did when we were a little kid or when we first heard them, and that we ask some of the questions that I'll ask about them today, because it helps us affirm why we believe what we believe. It helps you personally affirm why you believe what you believe. And when you understand the why behind what you believe in, you are far more Uh, comfortable in your faith, you're far more convincing to your friends and family because you get why you believe it. It's not just this, uh, I just sort of, I'm not sure, I don't have an answer for that, right? So we're going to go through some stories today about how God has been at work to redeem and restore his people. We're going to rewind the clock all the way back to the very beginning, right? In creation, God made everything, sun, moon, stars, animals, birds, fish, all the stuff. And in the very end, he made 10,000 men, Right? Wrong. Okay? Not even a hundred men. Like, did it ever occur to anybody? Have you ever asked, why just one? God started with one man at the beginning. And then that one man, he brings all of the animals to him to name and to, uh, you know, kind of assign their names and all that stuff. And also, he told them that he was looking for a, a helper Suitable for Adam, like a companion, suitable for him. So Adam gets this awesome job of like being the first zookeeper, and he names all the animals and tells them what they were. And at the end, there was nobody that was a companion. There was no animal that would suit. And so God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He takes one of his ribs, sidebar. How many ribs do we have? Who are biology people? Quick, before somebody counts. Right? Somebody's got to know. How many ribs... Huh? 13? Is that what you said? Sorry? Oh, this is tough. I didn't know this would be a stumper. 12 on each side? That's a lot of ribs. We have 12. We have 12. And uh, I've heard there are freaks of nature that have 13 that have an extra blessing. Um, So we have 12 ribs, right? So God takes one rib out. Guys... Can I get an amen that he didn't go one for one on the creating women, like 12 to one at the start, right? I think God knew what he was up to, that it was not a good idea to surround Adam, the first man ever on earth with 12 women, 12 women out of the gate, right? He would not know what to do. God makes one woman and one man. And that's how this whole deal starts. And then, in fast forward and no time at all, as the earth is populated and generation after generation, the earth and people in it become more and more evil and more and more messed up. So much so that God gets to the point where he's actually grieved, he's actually saddened by what he had done. And he's at the point of actually wiping creation clean from the face of the earth, except for one man Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And through one man, God brought redemption for his plan. He began anew through one man. Now, keep fast forwarding. There's so many people throughout history that God has worked through, and there's so many stories in the Bible. I'm just going to hit the highlight reel or we'd be here for weeks, right? So I'm gonna hit the highlight reel. Fast forward to several generations, the earth is populated, people have sorted out into their different regions and and different dialects and kind of figured out what their different trades and what their, their, their family is known for and what they do and it's long established and developed. And God calls out to one man, Abram. And he calls this, he makes a call to Abram that is to go and uh, leave his place, his land that he's familiar with, his family, his friends, his father's house, and to go to a place that God will show him, and it's a call of, of trust. It's a call of just faith that God makes to Abram. To go to a place I'll show you And God makes him some promises along with that. He says that he is going to bless him and that he is going to cause him to be a blessing to others. And God tells him that he will bless those who bless him and he will uh, curse those who dishonor him. And he goes on to tell him, early on in the beginning, he even tells him that through him, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, just like sometimes it's so healthy for us to like pull back away from a story we're so familiar with and go, why? Why one guy? Wouldn't it have been so much more effective and believable if a thousand guys heard that call or a hundred guys throughout the land heard the call to go somewhere God was showing them and they all showed up at the city gate and went, did you hear what I heard last night? Yeah, I heard what you heard. Did you? And they all collaborate and, and corroborate their stories together, and everybody's like, man, this is really believable because all these people heard this. How much more effective would that have been to communicate that message, right? But that's not how God did it. He just called one guy. And he sent him on this crazy adventure. Fast-forward again, further in time. We take a look at the story of Joseph, who called Joseph the dreamer, right? This guy had it going on with dreams. God had given him some special gifts and unique abilities to understand and interpret dreams. Joseph starts off as this young boy in a big family of boys. We have five kids, four boys, and so I know what it's like to have a lot of boys, and they had way more than that. Joseph got a lot of noogies, right? He was the young buck in the family, and there had I just know that boys universal throughout history, right, there's WrestleMania going on for sure. That's just a thing boys do since the beginning of time. Joseph, as a young boy, starts to get these dreams, and he's dreaming about weird things. He's dreaming about stuff like uh, sheaths, so uh, like corn stuff that goes around the corn or like a leaf or something, and there's a bunch of them, and they fall down, and one stands up, and the rest bow down. And then he dreams about suns and moons and stars and all these things, and God helps him understand what those dreams mean. And maybe not so wisely, Joseph goes and tells his brothers that he's had dreams and God's spoken to him and he's going to actually be in charge of them one day. Which, if you're the little guy in a family of a bunch of big brothers, that probably doesn't go over so well, right? He even tells his parents that one day he's probably going to rule over them. Well, as you can imagine, it wasn't very well received. So much so that some of his brothers actually had it in for him to the point that they wanted to kill him. There was more than a, this little brother's a pain in the butt. There was, we'd rather have life without this little brother. And so they hatch a plan to kill him. There's some arguing going back and forth, and they decide, you know, if we're going to get rid of him, let's at least make a buck off of it. So we'll sell him as a slave, be rid of him. And they tear up his coat and put goat's blood on it, give it back to his dad. So his dad thinks that he's dead. They sell him off as a slave. His brothers go back and... It's the sadness that the younger brother died and something tragic happened to him and they don't know what. They're living in Guiltville over here. Joseph gets sold to a slave trader. The slave trader eventually sells Joseph to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of Pharaoh. He's the captain of his guard. Pharaoh is the king of Egypt at the time. So this guy is like head of security for the king of Egypt. Joseph becomes his house slave. Okay? God is with Joseph and Joseph is gifted and talented and a a good leader and a good steward of his duties and he does really well and over time Potiphar sees that this guy knows what he's doing he gives him more and more responsibility to the point where he's kind of running his whole household and everything was going awesome until Potiphar's wife kind of got the hots for him a little bit and... Joseph gets accused of attacking Potiphar's wife, which he didn't do, and he ends up finding himself thrown in jail. So now we've got this guy Joseph going through all of these crazy circumstances. He ends up in jail. What do you do in jail when you got a couple other guys in jail with you? you start talking and telling stories. And these two other guys that happened to be in jail with them, one was a baker for the Pharaoh, one was a cupbearer that used to bring him his wine. And they start sharing stories while they're in there and they share some stories along the way about how they had had some weird dreams. And Joseph cues right up, he's like, I happen to be the dream guy, (laughs) right? I don't know what he said, but he said, I know about dreams. And so he tells these guys, tell me about your dreams. They tell him about their dreams. And he goes, let me tell you what they mean. And he tells them what they mean. And bam, exactly how he said it would happen, how he interpreted their dreams, those things actually happened, right? The cupbearer ends up getting put back into service. And sometime later, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, a leader of millions, starts having weird dreams and he doesn't understand them but he he, they're coming often enough and there's unique enough things about his dreams that he knows not to dismiss them and so he starts asking people who knows how to interpret dreams where are my wise men where are the different people that could tell me what these mean and nobody can be found that can help him understand what these dreams mean but they just won't go away Meanwhile, the guy that serves him his wine goes, you know, I remember this guy I was in jail with. And he interpreted some dreams, and everything he said worked out just like he said it would. And it's like, bam, get that guy out of jail immediately. All of a sudden, Joseph is yanked out of jail, brought before the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh tells him his dreams and God is with Joseph and Joseph interprets these dreams and tells him everything that's going on and he helps jo- uh, the king it, understand that there's about to be these like, horrible seven years of uh, famine coming, but first there's gonna be seven years of like bounty. Things are gonna just be growing like crazy, it's gonna be awesome, but it's gonna be followed by this terrible drought and this horrible famine where food will be scarce if not impossible to find. And Joseph goes from sold as a slave, thrown in jail, falsely accused, to right-hand man of the king of Egypt. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just insane when you look at these stories, how God worked and stuck with his man. And so we know a lot of how the story goes. We zip back over to Giltville where his brothers and family were living over here, right? And they are now, years later, experiencing the drought and the famine and they're struggling to find food and to survive along with the rest of God's people. And they gather together whatever they can to barter and buy and they go to back to get food from Egypt, the only place that has any. And so they go there and there's a a series of exchanges that happens between Joseph and his brothers and they go back and forth. And ultimately what happens is Joseph reveals himself and tells the story of what happened and who he is and how he got there. And there's reconciliation with his brothers. He forgives his brothers God worked through his circumstances and his faithfulness in his circumstances to bring about restoration for his family. But even bigger, God worked through his faithfulness, no matter what his circumstances, to bring about rescue and salvation for his people. For without Joseph's help and provision, and forethought and planning, there would have been no food and there would have been no people. They would have starved to death. And it's like you look at a story like that and you're like, couldn't God have done it another way? Do you ever look at how God did something and wonder why that way and not like the 10 other ways that come to mind? Like why didn't God just cause it to rain where his people were and make everything grow so that they didn't have to be hungry? Like why didn't God raise up some foreign army and stir up strife about something so that they would go and attack Egypt and and all of a sudden Egypt's vulnerable and all their food's available. Like there's so many things you could think of that are like God answers to how this could have been resolved. And God weaved this story and worked through this man, Joseph, to bring about rescue for his people. Fast forward more generations. We've got another guy. Now we're still in Egypt. But we've got a new king of Egypt that is now paranoid. He doesn't have the relationship with God's people like the kings before had. And he's paranoid because there's all these foreigners living in his land, so many of them, that he's worried that one day maybe they could revolt and actually take over his own country. Like he could lose his own land and throne to, to like these foreigners that were living in his country and so he enslaves them he takes away their liberty their freedom and he makes their life intolerably difficult and here again God's people are oppressed are enslaved are in a hard way and there's so many different things God could have done to solve that problem But God calls out to one guy. God calls out to Moses. A guy that no less argued back with God if he was really the right solution for this deal. Are you sure? And God stuck with his plan and he called Moses and through Moses he brought about rescue for his people, restoration, Reconciled them to him to lead them to a better place. Keep fast forward, and we've got this guy that all of us are familiar with named King David. Before King David knew what his whole life was going to be about, there was a prophet named Nathaniel, and God spoke to the prophet Nathaniel, one guy. And he told Nathanael, David is my guy. And you should get a pen out because I have some things I want you to tell him. And he tells Nathanael a bunch of things to go and tell David. And so when Nathanael comes to David, it's God said, that's how that works. God said, And so he tells him a bunch of things, but one of the things he told him is that God said he's going to make you a great man. He's going to make you a great leader. And the the people that have afflicted your people for so long, have come against your people for so long under your leadership, it won't be that way anymore. And he also told him that through his line, through his lineage, was gonna come one that would reign on the throne forever. God worked through one guy to deliver this message to David, one guy. Fast forward again, another time and another set of circumstances where God's people are in a pickle and there's a woman named Esther Esther finds herself in a very unusual situation as a queen to a king who is just about ready to pull the chopping block on all of God's people, to lay out a law that would potentially kill all of the Jews. And she finds herself in the horrible situation of trying to figure out how to approach the king. What should she say? How should she say it? And she is faithful to God's call in her life. She is faithful in the situation and the circumstances she was in, even though they were incredibly difficult circumstances. And through her faith and God's help, the whole situation is turned upside down and God's people are not uh, only not killed, but they're saved and have safe haven long term. God could have done so many things differently. The guy that was kind of leading the revolt at that time was named Haman, he could have just struck Haman down. He could have caused him to get hit by a stray chariot, right, I don't know. He could have just, you know, done away with the opposition. He could have, in so many different ways, just changed the mind of the king some other way. But God worked through Esther in her circumstances. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, God is faithful to continue to work through his people, one person at a time to bring about his redemption, to bring about restoration with his people, and it goes all the way up to the time where he is about ready to show up as God on earth as a person. This is a big event, right? We're talking God is about to reveal himself on earth in the flesh as a human. Surely, surely this event would have trumpets sounding around the earth the band would strike up, thousands if not millions would lead the charge to make sure everyone on the known earth knew that God was about to show up as a man on earth. One of if not the biggest thing God ever did in the history of his people is to physically show up as a person and how many people led the charge? How many people did God work through to lead the way? Thousands? Nope, hundreds, nope, one guy. Does that ever strike anybody as crazy? One guy, God entrusted to go and tell people that he was coming to earth as a person, that you were gonna get ready to meet God in the flesh. One guy is how God chose to announce his arrival. It's the same way that Jesus called his guys is one at a time. He didn't call out and have like stadiums filled and give the perfect message that nobody could rebut or argue with. He could have done something different where maybe he had scribes come along and he just put the perfect message message together and had it written out in every language and every tongue and made it fit for every people's circumstances and just sent out a million things to the corners of the earth so that everybody had the exact message they needed and the the whole gospel just right in front of them quick and fast and simple he didn't do that he just spent time on earth walking down the beach watching guys fishing calling them out hey simon hey andrew Drop your nets, come on with me. I'm going to show you guys how to fish for men. He'd walk along the beach. Hey, John, come on, come with me. And he taught them through time with them, through modeling, through example, what it meant to be God's man on this earth. He taught them what it meant to love people the way God loved people, through word and example. He taught him all of these lessons along the way. Because of that, we have this great example, not just through Jesus, but all throughout history of how our God works to reach out and redeem and restore his people and reconcile people to a right relationship with him. And when we know, when we can look back and go, all throughout history, not just once in a while, but time after time after time after time after time, all throughout history, God has worked this way. When he sent Jesus, Jesus worked this way. Then what that does for you and I is it helps us have confidence in our faith that when we reach out to someone it, that we don't have to have a fleet of people with us. We don't have to have the world's most uh, best evangelistic team or something, that God will be faithful to continue to work through each of us one person at a time, just like he always has been. That's the kind of God we have. When we say as a church that's what we're about, it's because that's what God's been about since the beginning, right? And not just God, not just Jesus, working through Jesus and working through other guys he's called, but it's been the same way with uh, other people I know too. Like I've seen God work one-on-one through other people. Um, Some of you have heard some of this stuff. A a couple of people I know that are not Bible people, but uh, there's a couple guys named Doug and John And these guys were awesome guys that loved the Lord and got together in North Idaho back in the 80s and started a construction company, and and they did all kinds of cool stuff. And they started going to church together, and uh, as their business grew, they started hiring different people. And as they were hiring these different people and getting them, working for them, one of the things that was really evident for everybody that worked for these guys is they were like, hardcore Christians, right? Cause they always blasted a bunch of Christian music and this one guy, Doug especially, he was like always busting out like worship music while he was working and like screaming out Bible verses, sort of crazy, but sort of like, not in a weird way, but like, like if you've ever been around somebody that's like over the top joy for the Lord and like they could scream out a Bible verse in the middle of Walmart and it would be sort of weird, but you'd almost like it, like, cause they were so happy. That was that guy. And he was like that. And so they hired some different people and they hired high school kids and had high school kids working for them and doing different stuff. They kind of took an interest in this one kid. And over the time, they kept kind of pursuing this kid and pushing on him and asking him Bible stuff. And then they finally said, hey, uh, to this kid, did you want to do a Bible study? And they had said the kid really wasn't that interested, but he basically told them that he could argue with them, you know, and so maybe if if they didn't care, if he tried to like point them wrong or whatever, they would do it. So these guys start doing this Bible study with this high school kid and some other people. They live on the north end of the county, kind of like Whitman County is really huge, like this covers a lot of ground. They lived on this north end of the county to where this kid lived was like 50 miles one way, right? They were driving every week no matter what the weather was like, back and forth every week to come to this kid's house and do Bible study with them and dig into the word and ask questions and just let them push back and do all the weird stuff and, and back and forth, back and forth until finally the, they, they had said like, the kid stopped having so many arguments and started having questions. And then over time, the, the kid stopped having as many questions and started wanting to know how to actually be a Christian. And so one summer, about two years after they had hired this kid, they were super excited. They threw a huge barbecue out in the back behind their house by the Moye River in North Idaho. If you've ever been there, it's really cool. If you haven't been there, you should go. Um, Really cool place. And they throw this big party and a big barbecue, and there's a big celebration because they're going to baptize this kid and what a cool story for these guys. And so they baptized this kid. Well, fast forward, years later, same high school kid. Years later, this high school kid, kind of battle torn from life, got some scars, been beat up a little bit, divorced, couple kids, in a new relationship with a new gal, thinking of really serious about getting married again and sort of lost. And so this kid, now a young man, leans back to what he used to know, right? Like, how do I get that again? And so he calls up a guy named Tim that works at a church, and they get to be friends, and this guy, Tim, pours into this, this young man, spends tons of time with him, sacrifices his time, his family's time, does all of these cool things with him, is there to hash out all these hard questions and difficult things, And it comes to the point where Tim is super excited because he gets to marry this young couple that he's been counseling and hashing through Christianity with, right? And so Tim, with a huge smile on his face, gets to go in this backyard wedding and marry this couple, and it was really significant for both of them, for Tim and for the couple, but for different reasons. For Tim, it was really significant because as a young pastor, this couple was the first couple he was ever gonna marry. For Lanny and I, You to be careful, my eyes will start leaking. For Lanny and I, it was a really special day. Not only because we loved each other, and we were all in, but because for the first time in our life, we were all in with God. And that should be a happy thing. I don't know why I say that and I get sad because it's awesome, but it's like, it's just emotional because I know where I've been without God. And I know how valuable those people were in my life that I wouldn't be there if they weren't faithful to where God put them to use them in our life. And I know if we were to go walk around this room right now and ask everybody what your story is, who are the people in your life, you would have name after name after name of people that God's used, and there would be amazing, awesome, awesome stories, right? In fact, let's do it. Let's not take the time to do the whole story because we've got to go home sometime. But seriously, who are some of the people, just first names, Call out a name, like who has God used in your life? Like there are real people, like shout them out. Nice, I know that one. Who else? Keep going. Yeah. I bet this guy's name comes up in a few stories. Derek Murphy. We're going to wrap this up real quick in a second. So while we get ready to do that, let's have the communion server start serving communion. I'm talking too much, so come on. Sorry. Every week we do communion here. If you're new with us, we have what we call an open table at communion, and that just means that if you want to celebrate uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection with us, that we would invite you to have communion with us. Um, also, just a couple little communion reminders real quick. Um, uh, if you're not a Christian and, or you're not sure and you are just maybe got questions about where you're at in your faith, um, there's no big, hard, fast law that you can take communion or can't take communion, but it's, it's for people that have a relationship with Christ and um, are remembering what he has done for us through, through uh, his death on the cross and his resurrection. So there's that piece. The other part is it's important for us to remember as we take communion each week that we're supposed to be kind of in a right standing with our brother. Or, you know, So if you're frustrated and ticked off and came in here at odds with your wife or with a family member or a kid or a friend, like the Bible teaches us we should um, not take communion and get that business dealt with and then take communion again when we're square with each other. So just some little reminders as we get ready. All right, let me wrap it up here. I'm just going to zip on to our implications, guys. Um, what does this really mean for us? When we talk about implications, the things that we want us to, as a church to chew on, to take away, to kinda bring home this week. This first one is this. Um, God's always been at work to restore our relationship with him. Right, since the beginning of time, God has been at work through people to restore other people back into relationship with him, like he uses people. It's so good for us to remember that because sometimes when we feel alone, when we feel like nobody sees us, man, I would encourage you to just look up and look around because God is at work and you may have someone that's just been reaching out to you and you just maybe haven't responded. Let God work through other people around you. God is for you not against you. Let's look at the next one. Are we willing to continue to be used by God to accomplish his plans in our family, our church, our town, and beyond? If you haven't read Esther lately, I would encourage you to go back and read it. It's not a long story. But man, if that story doesn't encourage you to have bold faith, and to be God's kind of person in the relationships wherever God's got you, like she, that relationship, her faith, should, it should just should just inspire you and spur you on. So that'd be a great one to read again. Let's look at the next one. Do you believe there are people around you in your family, at work, or even your community who need to hear how God reached you? I think about it like this. This. This is just the picture that comes to my mind. Like, how awesome would it be to hear your name come up when someone else was telling their testimony of how Jesus reached them? Imagine in our little town right here, you're sitting in uh, Cafe Del Rio or whatever that place is called. What is it called? (laughs) Cafe Moro there. I got my cafes and Mexican restaurants mixed up. (laughs) Can't run a music stand, and I'm bad at names, so, you know. Thank you, Jesus. What if you're at Starbucks, down at Thomas Hammer, you're wherever your place is, right? And you're hanging out with a buddy or a girlfriend, and you're having coffee, and like, I've heard, we've all had this, where you overhear a conversation around you, and you're trying to not eavesdrop, but you sorta of are. Like, what if you were in one of those situations, and then you'd realize the conversation going around was like distinctly Christian, right? that there's, they're, they're talking about Jesus and stuff, and what if, as they're telling, you realize that somebody's telling somebody else how they became a Christian, and what if you heard your name in the story behind you? Tell me that wouldn't just light you up. And amazing, what if you didn't even know who it was? Let's be those kind of people. we can do that, we can have a relationship with Christ because of what he did for us on the cross. Every week we celebrate it, we remember Jesus, we remember what he did for us, we remember that on the night he was betrayed, that he took the bread and he broke it, and he gave thanks and he gave it to his guys and told them to to eat it and remember that it represented his body um, as often as they did it. Then he took the cup and he told them that this was the cup of the new covenant, And uh, as often as they got together, to remember that that that's what that represented. Lord, we love you. You are so good and so faithful. You are a stick with us kind of God, and you've proved it throughout history. Thanks that you've worked that way and that you continue to work that way. We're excited to see how you continue to use regular people to do amazing things that a lot of times we don't understand. We love you, Lord. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from real life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.